Well, welcome back to the Shores Church Online. Great to be with you today. Thank you for taking a couple moments to study God's Word with me and with the Shores Church. We love that you join us every single week. And whether you're watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, or streaming on Spotify, thank you for taking a moment to study God's Word. Let me encourage you before we jump into the Word that no matter how you're watching or listening, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is on that particular platform. And then share this message that when you hear it today, if it speaks to you that somebody needs to hear it, make sure you share it so that the life-changing message of Jesus Christ can go forward and continue changing lives. Today we are in week three of our series, How Not to Study the Bible. In week one, we dealt with two different topics. The first one was never read a Bible verse. And I know what you're thinking if you didn't hear that message is, but I'm supposed to read the Bible. Yes, you're supposed to read the Bible, but you're supposed to read uh, not just a verse, but read it in the context of the paragraph that it's in, in the context of the chapter that it's in, of the full letter, the full book that it's in. When we read it in the full context, we understand what the author is trying to tell us. When we don't, we can make that verse say whatever we want it to say. The second thing was this, is that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. One of the problems so often is we think that the Bible is being written to us, and that it's addressing directly the culture and the issues we have today, when in reality it was directing the culture and the issue of the time. And when we understand that and we understand the context, we can understand what God was speaking to that culture, and then we can pull out the things that matter and learn how to adapt and explain our situations in our lives today. So it's written for us, it matters to us, but it's not written directly to us. So some of the things might feel like, well, that, that's old school, when in reality it was progressive at the time. And we're going to dive into that more uh, this week and the coming weeks. But then let me remind you of last week. Last week we dealt with the idea of stranger things and we looked at the Old Testament laws. You'll remember that we talked about how there's moral laws, there's ceremonial laws, and there's cultural laws. The ceremonial laws were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. We no longer have to sacrifice animals. Then from there, the rest of the laws are either moral or they're cultural. An example that I, I use is that a traffic light for us is a cultural law. It wouldn't need to be in place for a nation or a country or a time period that didn't have traffic lights. It's cultural for us. In, in that case, there's some laws that were cultural for them, and we dove into that and explained how the idea of eating shrimp was a cultural law and why it was. And I won't get into that in this message. If you want to check that out and you haven't yet, make sure you go back and check out that message, Stranger Things, so that you can understand that. And that there's moral laws, things like murder. Murder was wrong before the law, it's wrong in the law, and it's wrong after the law. In the moral laws, what we see happen is usually they're in all three places, but at least two before in or after the law, they are said that they're wrong. They're said that we shouldn't be doing, that Jesus confirms a lot of the things that were in the law through his teachings. And we know that, okay, even though that Jesus has come and Jesus has died on the cross, we still shouldn't be doing these things. So we broke down a lot of the arguments that people will use against Christianity comparing Levitical laws and how to explain that and how to answer people. Today, we're going to be diving into another difficult conversation, one that a lot of people like avoiding or they like just putting an easy answer on it. And that's that the, the Bible, that God, that Christianity pushes a boys club mentality, that men are in charge, that men are going to do uh, and push forward the gospel. And we're going to dive into this. We're going to look at what does the Bible really say about this? What does God really say about this? And how should we be living our lives today as Christians? But before we do, would you go ahead and repeat after me? Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word 
is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. Well, as we start today, I want you to hear a few of the different verses that the, the Bible has regarding women. And these are some of the verses that a lot of times we might read over, we might ignore, and we might not try and think deeply about them because they might feel problematic to us, they might feel uncomfortable to us, but we're going to deal with it today. So we're going to go ahead and jump into this and hear this. This isn't a women in ministry issue. This is a women in general issue. So I want you to hear what the New Testament verses are saying about women. And we're going to talk about it. So let's look first. This is 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. The next one that we have is 1 Timothy 2, 9-15. Let's check this one out. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam, who formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And now we're going to jump over to Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Let's check this one out. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves of too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And here's the thing I want you to hear, that these are not Old Testament passages of Scripture. There's a lot in the Old Testament that we can dive into. This is Paul. This is potentially one of the most progressive, moving uh, the, the ball forward down the field, cr early Christians. And he's the one who's writing this. So we have to deal with this because people in the world are seeing this. They're writing about this. They're basing their desire to leave Christianity or not join Christianity off of verses like this. And we're not dealing with it because we like just giving the answer that we always have because we're comfortable. And we can't. We need to study what God's word has to say about this. We need to be able to move beyond just debating, can a woman speak in front of men? We need to deal with what the issue and what the root issue really is so that we can address our culture by understanding their culture at the time. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive right back in. We're going to go all the way to the beginning of the Bible and Here's the first point for today. In the beginning. In the beginning. The, the Bible really is quite clear about a patriarchal system that kind of goes into play. But from creation, women are explicitly made in the image of God. That's revolutionary. That's a big deal. And this is something that's already put into place hundreds of years, thousands of years into creation. I want you to hear what Genesis chapter 1 verses, uh, verse 27 says. Hear this passage. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve were both created in the image of God. That when you look in chapters 1 and 2, they were both equal. They were both equal parts of who God was. They were both given the command to be fruitful and multiply. They were together and not one of them was ruling over the other. And here's what ends up happening. That even though they were given a shared work to do, this great creation mandate, that they were to be fruitful, they were to be in dominion over the world, it was for them to do it together. That they were uh, sexually different bodies, but they were a created good in the image of God. Women, I just want you to hear this today, that God made you in his image. He loves you and he values you. I know sometimes it's easy to feel like, well, uh, women are second rate in our culture, even sometimes in Christianity. And I want you to hear this, that you were created as equal partners in the image of God from the moment of creation. You matter and you have value. Here's what I want you to realize, though, that there is no mention of uh, women being subordinate or in some kind of hierarchy system until after the fall. But after, after the fall, we have this patriarch system that kind of moves into place. And what we realize is this, is that under sin, that enters the uh, when it enters the equation in Genesis chapter 3, the shared work of the creation of mandate, it's divided. That what we see is that Eve gets the fruitfulness and this idea that multiple conceptions have to happen because now children will die. You would have been able to subdue the world much quicker and easier before the, uh, the fall because people were designed and created to live forever. But now all of a sudden, Eve is going to go through more pain because there's going to be more conceptions so that the very thing that God wants to have happen can actually still happen. That Adam gets the dominion, that he has the, the burden of going out and working the fields and being amongst the thorns and the possibility that his family might starve. He has that, that ability of going out and taking care and providing while Eve has that ability of bringing life into the world. And so what was supposed to be done together is now separated and it becomes more difficult and more painful as they're doing it uh, apart from each other instead of together like they were supposed to. That under sin, Adam blames Eve for his sin, refusing to take responsibility for it. That under sin, the marital relationship is now disrupted. What was in perfect harmony is now no longer in perfect harmony. And that her desire, Eve's desire, is going to be for Adam instead of being able to fully put her eyes on God the Father. And under sin, what ends up happening is now Adam is put in a spot of ruling over Eve because now they are separated from God the Father when God the Father was going to be the one who was uh, over them. And so this patriarch system comes into place. And what we realize is that the patriarch system that we even still see in existence today is really just a result of the fall of man, of sin entering the world. It was never God's design, but it enters into place to be able to provide and take care. But at the same time, here's the thing, sin and death entered the world at the same moment. And all of a sudden we realize that in most of our systems that people usually look out for what's best for them instead of looking out for what's best for others. So a system that could have been good is abused. And that's our, our next point, is that the patriarchy could have been good. It could have been a good system. In the Old Testament law, the idea in the patriarchy is that the patriarch, that top uh, male in the family, 
was to sit at the center, not at the top. We kind of think of it today as whoever's at the top of the pyramid and things trickle down. That was never the desire. That was never in the rules that God put in place, the laws that God put in place. It was for the patriarch to sit in the middle and allow the blessings to flow out. But after a certain little while of time, all of a sudden the blessings moved into the father. It was the very idea why the oldest son got a double portion because the oldest son would become the next patriarch when the father died. And he was to provide and take care of. He was to, to watch out and take care of the, the women and the children, the vulnerable within the family. That was his role. But we see it happen all through the Old Testament. And we even see it today that the individual who is essentially that patriarch a lot of times isn't taking care of the family. It's things are going up. We see that happen in the business world. We see that happen within family units. We see that happen in so many different places is that the patriarch is supposed to provide and take care of those who are the most vulnerable. And so often it gets flipped and the vulnerable uh, pay up and, and help whoever is at the, the top of the mountain. That's the system, but the system gets abused and it gets twisted. That throughout the Old Testament, we see, we see mentions of what it's supposed to be. And we see a system led by mankind and disobedience that keeps getting worse. The women at the time didn't have a lot of options because of this. There wasn't a lot of options for them to be educated. There wasn't a lot of options for them to work. And so they were in a very vulnerable, bad spot. And so this is why you see a lot of these laws that we talked about last week that feel uncomfortable, that they don't feel good to us. Why would a father sell his daughter into slavery? And we talked about it last week. Again, you can go back and listen to that, but it's the idea that the father wants to make sure that his wife can be taken care of, that his, or his, his wife, his widow, his daughter, whoever it may be that he would sell into slavery could be taken care of in his absence. And so there was rules put in place to protect uh, that, that female. And it might even be them marrying into that family or uh, them treating her like family. Or if they wouldn't do that, that they would eventually have to release her so that she could be taken care of. And so there's rules and laws and things that are put into place. Even some of the awkward laws, let's be real here for a moment. There are passages of scripture that say that if a man rapes a woman, that he is to marry her. And it feels like it's this transaction, this, this property. Well, that's not good for her. And today's idea, the idea of forcing someone to marry somebody who raped her, that would be a horrific thing. But back then, the, the lack of education, the lack of ability to do jobs, the lack of all these different things, there needed to be a way to provide for her. And it was a way for, if you did this to her, then now you need to take care of her. And the woman could refuse. She didn't have to marry that individual, but the man had to make sure that he was keeping up for what he did. And so you see this system and how it's really viewing women at that time as more of property, but that's not where God wants to keep it. You see, the next idea that I want to bring into this message today is a new hope. A new hope that even in the midst of the craziness, even in the midst of a broken system that's not working, that's not taking care of women, we see hope throughout the Old Testament that will eventually arrive in Jesus Christ. That we can look at Miriam in the, the story of Exodus, that along with her brothers Aaron and Moses, that Miriam helped lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And what was her role? She was a prophet. I want you to hear this. This is uh, referenced in Micah 6, 4. Hear this passage. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Here's the thing I want you to realize is that it is being referenced that the Israelites were sent out 
and that God used Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. It wasn't just, and Miriam was with the women, and that Miriam was a prophet, but only to the women, that Miriam spoke as a prophet to God's people. I want you to hear that. It's so often we can get into this debate today of can women speak in the church and can women teach men? God used Miriam as a prophet to the entire nation of Israel when he was helping get them out of Egypt. God uses women to speak. Now, here's the, the thing I want you to go into next, is it's not just Miriam, that we see Deborah in Judges chapter 4, that she is a prophet, that she's a judge over the nation of Israel, and she's a military leader for Israel. All three of those things, that a prophet, a judge, and a military leader for Israel, please tell me that women don't have a role within the gospel, that women don't have a role within God's kingdom, because they do, clearly. Huldah, in 2 Kings 22, uh, we see her introduced. The King Josiah is commissioning the rebuilding of the temple. In the process of this, they discover the books of the law. They realize that they're not doing things properly. So King Josiah, his advisors, and the high priest, they turn to the prophet Huldah to explain God's law. That a bunch of men go to the, the female prophet in order for her to explain God's law to them. Do you hear that? that God, again, is using a, a woman to bring knowledge and education and prophecy to the entire nation of Israel. And then we can look at Joel's prophecy from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. You hear that? In those days, the sons and the daughters will prophesy. It's not going to just be the matter of them prophesying to, well, the men prophesy to everybody and the women prophesy to just the women. No, it's they both will prophesy. In, in that day, that male and female servants will have the spirit of God poured out over them. Why do we look to disqualify people? There is hope that is throughout the Old Testament, and it is pointing towards Jesus Christ. And here's our next point out of this message today. Jesus changes everything. I know this feels obvious, but Jesus changes everything. From the moment that Jesus steps on the stage as a newborn, things begin to change. The patriarchy uh, system would say that, well, the Messiah would need to come this way. But the Messiah comes as a baby born to a virgin. That this is a moment where in that culture, in that moment, that Mary could have been stoned. That Joseph didn't have to marry her. That Joseph would have been in his right to not go uh, through with the engagement, not marry Mary. But here's the thing we realize that when we see scripture and we see all of this prophecy fulfilled, we realize that Jesus the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is born to a virgin woman, that she brings Jesus into the world. We see throughout the, the gospel messages that Jesus has women in his closest circle of people. Yes, he's got the, the apostles, that, that grouping is men, but we see the fact that he's got Mary and Martha with us, with him. We see other women that are, are named through the course of it. We see Jesus intentionally teaching to women when rabbis at the time wouldn't have done that. You see Jesus sticking up for women when other rabbis and teachers and, and people at the time wouldn't have done that. We see Jesus 
define marriage in Matthew chapter 19. A lot of times we say, well, this is the, the reason where Jesus is saying that a, a man should leave a woman or his parents and a woman should leave her parents and they should be joined together. And yes, he is backing up with the traditional view of marriage in this moment. But I want you to realize there's something else that happens here, that if a man commits adultery, it's no longer treated as an issue of property, but now he is doing an act against the person that Jesus is elevating uh, women up and bringing them back in the proper balance, back into this created image of God, because that's what they are. That as we take the time to reread the story of Jesus at the and the woman at the well, that if you haven't read that recently, go and read that, uh, that story after we're done here. But the thing is that Jesus approaches this woman at the well in Samaritan country, that regular teachers, rabbis, uh, good Jews, they wouldn't have went to Samaria. They would have avoided this area. But Jesus intentionally goes through there. He goes uh, to the well where the women were, were there to water the animals. And he goes at midday where it's at its hottest, where only this particular woman was going to be there because she would have been judged by uh, the other women because she had multiple husbands. And Jesus gets down to that issue. But what I want you to realize is that Jesus has a one-on-one -on -one moment when everybody else would have told him, don't do this to meet with this uh, sinful woman, to restore her, to bring new life. And he sends her out ultimately as an evangelist, that she goes back uh, to town and starts telling everybody, hey, there, there's somebody out there that is able to give me something that nobody else has, that you need to meet them. And then he, she brings all these people to Jesus, that Jesus uses women to speak truth, that Jesus kept women as friends, that Jesus came born of a, a virgin, that when we look at Jesus, he is in the business of saying that women have value, that women matter, and that we can't just look at it and say, well, it's not that big of a deal, or men should be the only ones to teach, or that women don't have value in the church, or women can just do kids ministry, or women can just uh, do this or do that. No, women matter in the church. We see Jesus making a whole restoration process of the garden, that God is doing away with the patriarch system, and he is putting something new in place. So here's the question now. How do we make sense of these New Testament verses that I read to you earlier, that Paul is writing these things, saying these things? How do we make sense of it? Again, this goes to the idea that the Bible was written for us, not to us, and that we should never just read a Bible verse, but we need to read the context. We need to understand who Paul is and what he was about. So let's do that very thing. That I want you to hear this uh, passage from 1 Corinthians 7, 4, that uh, says this, For the, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You see, in this passage, that Paul is starting to do the very thing that Jesus was doing is bringing both back together again. Because remember, in Genesis, and then when Jesus reconfirms it, that a man leaves his parents, a woman leaves her parents, they are joined together as one flesh. That's why a man no longer has full control over his body, and a woman no longer has full control over her body, because they have joined and become one flesh. They have become one union, and they are to work together. This is the restoration of what was supposed to be in Genesis. It's coming back. Another reason why we can do away with the patriarch system is this, is that when we see through Paul's writings and we see through so many of the other apostles' writings, we see this idea that now it is the issue that it's not men, the patriarch system, that's to take care of the widows and the orphans. It's now the church's obligation 
to take care of the widows and the orphans. We see that really play out in the book of Acts. Read Acts with that kind of mentality that we no longer need the patriarch system because the church is now supposed to do these things. That we can see with Paul as well that he has female friends and colleagues who are doing the gospel work. We see Phoebe as a deaconess in Romans 16.1. We see Juniah the apostle in Romans 16.7. We see that Priscilla explains the way of God more accurately that she's teaching in Acts 18.26. We see all of these things that are happening in individuals that Paul is allowing proximity, that Paul is using and encouraging and uplifting women through these writings and throughout the New Testament. It's pretty safe to say that Paul was not telling women to be silent, that all women should be silent all the time, and that they couldn't teach, and that they couldn't talk in the church, that we need to remember this idea that I keep saying, that we should never read a Bible verse, and that the Bible was written for us and not to us. So what is the real issue here? What is Paul really trying to get at? Who was he writing to? And what did they know, and what did he know that we don't today? So first off is this. First, the men and the women were moving out of this patriarch system. It was still in play that, yes, Jesus was tearing it down. The disciples, the apostles in this moment, that they're starting to tear it down and put the influence back on the church to take care of those individuals. But here's the thing. You don't flip a switch and then have everything be better. That if women didn't have the opportunity to be educated for a long time, they're not just going to instantly be educated. That if they didn't have opportunities to work in different places, they're not just going to instantly have that opportunity. There's a process that needs to be in place to get there. That women, remember, didn't have a lot of educational experiences and they were still catching up. Now, in this day, that they still would have been doing this in the early church, that men would have sat on one side during a service and women on the other side. And so when you hear this idea of women talking to their, their husbands or to other people, it's this idea that they're talking over the room. So you have somebody who's teaching, but then at the same time, there's conversations that are going on. We don't do this today, but what we do do a lot of times is within a church setting or any kind of lecture type setting, have you ever been guilty of pulling out your phone and texting somebody or checking the internet or doing something? Same kind of concept. Ultimately, this is more about an awareness issue. This is more about an understanding issue. And Paul is basically saying the, the women that are having the questions that they're all of a sudden, they're starting to understand that they're able to be more involved and that they can understand things more and they can have a greater role. That if they're going to ask questions, ask them at home because it's making an issue when we're coming together and actually learning the Word of God. So that's one of the things that kind of comes into play in a lot of these writings and passages is that it's a system that's in place in that local church that this rule needs to go in place so that everybody can learn, not to prevent women from speaking. Because again, we see moments where women are supposed to pray, that women are supposed to prophesy. How are they supposed to prophesy and pray and worship if they're not supposed to speak? That doesn't make any sense. So that is a logical answer. But here's the other logical answer that I want to bring back to that First Timothy passage that we read earlier. I want you to go ahead and hear this again. This is First Timothy 2, 9 through 15. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the women, 
uh, was uh, deceived and became a transgressor, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, here's the thing that I want you to realize. In this particular culture, in this particular context, there's something unique that's happening. And again, this is all through Scripture. When you read something and it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't quite sound like who God is, then let's explore and dive into it and understand that context and that culture. That Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is ministering in the area of Ephesus. In the area of Ephesus, what we're having happen is there's a lot of people that were coming to Jesus and coming from other gods or goddesses that they had been worshiping, and they didn't have the full understanding and the knowledge of who God is, primarily Artemis. Artemis was a goddess that was being worshipped primarily and almost solely by women in the area of Ephesus. And it was essentially an all-women religion, but the priests were castrated men. And so there's all kinds of weird things that were happening in this. We're not going to dive into all of that, but it basically was a fertility cult cult where they worshipped Artemis by all kinds of sexual acts, including prostitution. So these women are now being saved, redeemed, and are having the ability to now come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for them. And so they were essentially taking who they were and how they were worshiping and all the fanciness and all the gold and all the ornate uh, outfits that they were wearing and now coming to church. And this is why we see uh, Paul say to Timothy that they should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with the braided hair and gold or pearls, because he was trying to disciple them. They were of a certain persuasion, a certain knowledge, a certain understanding in worshiping uh, Artemis in this particular way, and now they're worshiping God, uh, the, the God of Israel, worshiping Jesus for all that he had done for them. And they were bringing what they had in this system into the new one. And Paul is trying to instruct Timothy so that Timothy can instruct them and disciple them so that they do the very things that they're supposed to do. Now, remember, this was an all-women religion where the priests were castrated men. The women ran this cult, this fertility cult. And so in this moment, they have to be pushed down a little bit, not because they're women, but because they don't have the proper education, they don't have the proper knowledge, and they needed to sit back and learn. You see, what it really boils down to this is it's a discipleship issue. Every time you see this come up, it's a discipleship issue that there isn't the proper education, that it's a grouping of people that worshiped another god or another goddess that are now coming into the fold with Christianity. And we need to help educate them because we see, as I mentioned earlier, multiple different references of women that were helping bankroll the church, that were helping spread the good news about the church. I mean, for goodness sakes, when Jesus rose from the grave, Who were the first witnesses of the empty tomb? It was women. That God uses women to advance the gospel. And this is the thing we need to realize within the church. If the church is holding back women, then what we're doing is holding back from the full measure of God being able to move forward and impact this world. We need to realize this is that we were all created in the image of God. We were all created to to come together and subdue the world and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. When we go back to the garden, which is the plan when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, is to get back to the relationship that Adam and Eve had before the fall. 
And I think so often we can fight even within Christianity of this is the way we've always done it. So this is the way it should always be done. But the problem is that breeds a mindset where we're not even going to deal with the difficult conversations or the difficult topics. And what happens is now the church is on uh, kind of the outside of, of culture and we have culture dictating and saying, well, the church isn't relevant because it doesn't want to include women. It doesn't want to allow women to serve in different areas of ministry, that they can just do kids ministry or they could just do women's ministry. No, God can use women to speak the good news of Jesus Christ and preach and prophesy because he's done it through the Old Testament. He's done it through the New Testament and he will continue doing it today and until he comes again. So I want you to hear this. When we look at the entirety of scripture, we see that Christianity is not a boys club. It has room for men and women to be involved so that we can advance the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to be able to walk away today with the confidence of this is that women matter, that men matter, and God's plan matters, and that God is going to use men and women to advance his plan so that people meet Jesus, that they can be saved, they can be sanctified, and they can be put forward on a course so that they can make it to heaven one day and spend eternity with us in heaven. So today as we go to close, I know this isn't as much of a formal message. This almost feels more educational than it is transformational. But I want you to realize this, that if you're there uh, watching on the other side of the screen today and you feel like I just don't matter that, uh, that I'm, I'm a woman and that God just hasn't used me, I want, I want to pray over you. That I want to pray that God would just speak to you and encourage you and give you new hope and new vision and new dreams. That you wouldn't just set it aside simply because this is the way that you're supposed to feel or what you're supposed to do. But if God has placed something on your heart, that you are fully capable of doing that. And men, I want to challenge us. Let's make room for women to be able to serve within the church. I'm grateful for to have a church where we have a female pastor on staff. We've had multiple female pastors in the past. And we have female board members that at the very top levels within our church that we have women serving and that we don't uh, push women out, but we allow for women to come and serve, that we are a church that I believe is doing a great job with this, but we can always do a better job of making sure that all people are included to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we need all people in our world today to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we can rob hell of people and we can fill up heaven with all of God's creation that he has already paid for. Let me pray with you today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for each individual who is watching this message today. Lord, I pray for the women that are watching this, that you would speak new hope and new dreams and new visions and new plans into them, that they wouldn't allow the, the world to say that you can't do this because you're a woman, but if you speak it to them, if you place it in their hearts and in their minds, that you will equip them to do all the good works that you have for them so that your kingdom can grow and that Jesus can get what he paid for. Lord, I pray right now, just speak that vision over them and build them up in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for the church as a whole, for men, Lord, that we wouldn't be, ever be intimidated or think we're going to miss out an opportunity, but that we would make room for God to use all people to advance the kingdom because your kingdom growing is the thing that matters most. Not any title that any one person can have, but the, the name of Jesus being made famous and people coming to a saving knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. In Jesus' incredible name, amen. As we go to uh, close today, would you say the Great Commission with me? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Thanks again for joining us as we study God's Word together today. Whether you're watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, or streaming on Spotify, make sure you like this video, subscribe, follow, whatever it is you need to do, and share this with somebody that you know needs to hear this message to be encouraged that God has great plans in store for them and that they're fully capable of walking out those plans or that maybe they need uh, they struggle in this area and they need to be challenged and encouraged with what God's Word has to say. Have a great day, a great week, and I will catch you in the next one. Thank you.